Bannon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Happy 2018, everyone, and welcome back to the Restaurant Fiction Podcast, where we review your favorite fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as take you on an inside look of the writing process by bringing you the creator, the showrunner, the producer, the executive of that favorite said restaurant, bar, and club. I'm your host, Monis Rose, and today's fictional restaurant and review is the exotic spice and tea shop featured prominently in the NBC show Grimm. Our guest today is co-EP of Grimm, Richard Haddam. Richard and I go way back, and Richard will tell why. He has also wrote probably my favorite episode featuring the exotic spice and tea shop, and Richard takes you on a deep inside the scarol experience, pretty much of scarol if you close your eyes and imagine it, experience of the exotic spice and tea shop. A little caveat before we start. This is part one of the Richard Haddam interview. Usually I like to edit all of the interviews to about 30 minutes. Um, That is my attention span. Hopefully that is maybe the majority of people's attention span. But this long form interview is actually so, so good. We are going to be dividing it into parts. This is part one. Uh, We really don't want to give away parts two and three and maybe even four until they happen because even part one is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's one hell of a tip. Here is the review of the Exotic Spice and Tea Shop as well as our interview, part one with Richard Haddam. What's going on, Richard? Not too much, Monis. Dare I tell everyone how we met? Sure, you could talk about how we met. You know, I usually like to do intros in post, but you know, let's let's do it. How did I we bet, meet? I, only because I bet I'm the only person who met you in the context of a class. Manus was one of my students in a writing class, and let me tell you, until you've spent ten weeks in a class with Manus, you just don't know what happiness is. Oh, come on now, no. Um, in all fairness, everyone to the world, you know. People remember their third grade teachers and their second grade teachers, but I really remember pretty much only my UCLA extension writing <laughs> teacher, and that is sitting with me right here. And I do not BS a BSer. Um, you know, honestly, I could, don't get me wrong, I have mad respect for all of the elementary, high school, college professors and teachers, but really no one has really left a legacy like this man in front of me. So I really appreciate that for you being here. Well, you know, you listeners at home, you've, you've heard a few episodes. You probably don't know a lot about Manus. Uh, maybe that's for the best. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, again, you just got to picture, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I'm up there trying to impart some knowledge to these, these students. And and Manus is the kind of student you want. He's the one sitting in the back, just like eyes locked on me, like he's either going to ask me a question or murder me. It could be either one. 
and uh, just, you know, like just a grin on his face and totally enthusiastic. So, so there you go. I don't know what you're talking about. Please, please, all of around the world, please. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> we went to the exotic spice and tea shop and it's in Portland. Now, Portland, for those of you who have not been and if you even want to Google stereotypes, it's famous for three things. It's famous for their coffee, it's famous for their craft beer, and it's famous for their strip clubs. But the strip club thing <laughs> is another podcast or it's at least another time or another TV show. There's really no tea of what I mentioned. And there needs to be. And I am so glad that uh, the Exotic Spice and Tea Shop, it's... In an area, it's right by the Willamette River, and it's kind of in a brownstone, this dark mahogany, and it's not really lit. There is a need. There is a need for tea, and also why the tea shop fits in Portland is because Portland is all about purveyors. Um, if you ever go to a menu, they say, oh, it's bread from this bakery, it's chocolate from this shop, it's charcuterie from this place. Well, it's now it's going to be tea. And I'm talking about some very, very special teas uh, from this kind of, I can only describe it as like an apothecary shop. And you will see that I think this is also going to be the craze. Before we even talk about what we drank, why we liked it, there are no hipsters in this tea shop. We're talking about in the land of hipsters, in the land of mustache-wearing sleeve tattoos with cartoons from the early 1990s. There's none of that. There's none of that. There's no uh, indie rock. It is kind of a safe haven for those who do not want to blend in to the Portland landscape. So God bless on that. The teas we drink. First of all, the first tea we drank was a tea called Stevie Weedy. And it was only described to us as something that is served at ayahuasca ceremonies. We do not condemn or condone ayahuasca ceremonies, but uh, that was at least the strength of this tea. We thought the uh, dosage of mimosa hostilis and vinegar, which I think is the main ingredient, plus I, I know the plant, it was just a little too much for us. We're not promoting any kind of hallucinogenic. That's not what uh, restaurant fiction is about. But these teas are strong. These teas are strong, and they're really not for human beings. Uh, they're for... Uh, something else, if you want, almost like another world as if this place existed in fairy tales. Uh, the next tea we drank was the generic shroom tea. We're lightweights here, one little sip, and we were pretty much very easy going. Uh, finally, to stimulate the senses and get the heart rate going, uh, I am pronouncing this wrong. It's a Chinese tea. It's a Chinese black tea from the Yunnan province. It's called a, a pu puree. Puree black tea. Uh, I know Tim Ferriss advertises them a lot. I know uh, they're kind of all the rage now. But you know what? It was better than two pills of Adderall because that got our speed demons going. And this is all in a tea shop. So anyway, I know a slogan of Portland is keep Portland weird. But you know what? I think the uh, exotic spice and tea shop is just for the really, really out of normal 
who also just don't want to even blend in. Richard, what'd you think of the exotic spice and tea shop in Portland, Oregon? I loved it. <laughs> it's funny how the how the world of Grimm and the world of Portland have have sort of melded together. Um, I worked on the show for about a year, year and a half, and the film, uh, the show filmed in Portland. <clears throat> so we got to go there when we covered our episodes. And that was one of the big perks of the show. It, for me, at least, was to spend time in one of my favorite cities in the world. I go there, and, and for a moment, uh, a corner of my soul opens up. Portland is fantastic for food. Uh, it's all about local provisions and pot. Yes. Oh but, yeah, no. and it was it was so great to go there and stay. You know, I would either stay at the Hotel Deluxe or I'd stay at the um, at the Heathman, and uh, the restaurant at the Heathman fantastic. There's a restaurant just up the street on Broadway called Higgins. That was another haunt I would go to all the time. It was it was, you know, the people who worked on Lost would brag that when they covered their episodes they got flown to Hawaii. And that's about as good as it gets. I think the same thing for Hawaii Five-0. I think the writers actually get to go to Honolulu. Um, but, and, I, and I love Hawaii, but going to Portland for me was, was even better. And, and it's a very walkable city. You, you, that little downtown area, from Powell's to the Hotel Deluxe, over to any restaurant you want and back down again. Um, and I can't even remember the names of the restaurants I went to. But it, it, was, it, it was luxury. And, uh, and because the show also, in its own world, took place in Portland, the cast of the show were, I mean, they were kings. They got into any restaurant they wanted because the city knew that the show itself was bringing attention to Portland. I went to a restaurant I'm going to, I'll find out what the name of it was because we were just there eating dinner and at the very bottom of the menu where it says, okay, this is vegan and this is gluten free. And you know, if you have allergies, don't blame us. There was a little notation that said, it, it actually called out if you're a blute bod, you know, we cannot guarantee you will be okay eating these mushrooms. And I'm like, Wait, what? And they literally, the restaurant was calling out an element of the show because Monroe was a blue bot. He was sort of a guy who could transform into a sort of a wolf creature. And, and I called the waiter over and I'm like, what is this? And they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, we know the, f the show films here and we've had the cast in and we decided to put a little joke in our menu for anyone who gets it. And clearly you got it. Making a reference to some of these creatures and what they can safely eat and what they can't safely eat. And it's right there printed in the menu. I mean, this was a city that was devoted to this show and loved it. And I kind of feel bad that the show has concluded its, you know, production and they're not there anymore. I, I actually think a lot of the people up in Portland and a lot of the restaurant people uh, will miss that cast and that crew. I think you just pointed out it has a great legacy. Well, I mean, y y when you think about the concept of the show, um, and, and how it sort of trades in fairy tale tropes. So much of that involves spells and people ingesting things. 
And, you know, what are you eating and what does that do to you? Um, and, and when I was working on the show, that, we trafficked in those themes a lot. There was, there was a whole subplot where, uh, where Sergeant Wu uh, was, uh, was under some kind of spell because he was eating cookies that were being made by the um, uh, Hexen Beast and uh, played by Claire Coffey. So he was eating, he was already eating cookies. That was causing the spell. And part of what, part of the effects of what the, you know, the spell did to him was that he would just eat odd things, like he was eating buttons and coins. There's actually a medical condition called pica, I think, where you are sort of compelled to eat dirt or things that are high in metallic value, you know, various weird minerals and metals the body needs or thinks it needs. Um, And... And so the idea of what you ingest and what it does to you, what you drink, what you eat, those themes were all over the show in every episode. And, and so again, the, the, these sort of multiple levels of meaning and significance, the fact that the show took place in Portland, you know, all, all, all that was stuff we could draw from when we were writing the show, and it made it really, really fun. Take me back where... Let's role play with uh, these are some grim questions, if you don't mind, since we're no, on the please. subject. So you're breaking an episode of Grim. Uh, how, at what point does the tea shop come into play? Well, the tea shop was crucial because that's where, um, uh, that's where our Fuchsbau worked. Uh, and uh, Monroe uh, found his, uh, the love of his life in Rosalie. So... Uh, she ran the shop and, and it did give us, like you said, a good standing set. And by the way, some of my most vivid memories of working on the show were being on that set. One of the great things about working in television is being able to walk through the physical spaces that you only see in a two dimensional television screen. And they look very different in real life walking through the, the, the squad room where Nick and Hank worked or walking into the tea shop, it was like, oh, I, I'm, I, I, I didn't realize that it, it was so large. Like, it looks smaller on screen, but in real life, a lot of these sets are much larger. And there was a, there was a big fight in the tea shop in one of the last episodes I wrote. And sitting there, okay, so some backstage stuff. Now, Manus knows this because I talked about it in class and also he's worked in the industry. But when you're working on a TV show, the writer and the script supervisor and the director uh, sit in in this little area in front of uh, a bank of monitors and this area is referred to as Video Village. So no matter what is being filmed, Probably just off screen, there are a bunch of people that you can't see and they're huddled around monitors that are showing them what is being filmed by A camera and B camera and C camera, and that's Video Village. So Video Village was set up in the tea shop, and the day that we spent there filming those scenes was one of the best days because it was so cozy. The the environment that they built, that they designed was so comfortable and such a great place to be. I remember thinking, God, I wish I could just be here forever. And, and there are other shows that have done, uh, that, 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 that have those sets where you're just like, oh, please, let's just do a full day of filming here. Let's just set up Video Village and I can just 
you know, sort of, you know, sit in one space for 12 hours, observe what's being done, focus on it. And the tea shop was the best. And it, the tea shop was an extension of the character of Rosalie. And it was an extension of the relationship that she had with Monroe. And anytime we could write a scene that took place there, we were happy. So really, uh, there's two questions come from that answer. First of all, thank you. That was fantastic. What you just said at the, the latter um, half of that answer was the tea shop served more than just a tea shop. It was what you just said, an extension of the character. Well, first of all, and by the way, if you hear me chewing, it's because I'm eating because what else a, am I going to do on this show? It's, a, it's restaurant fiction, guys, and for all future guests, come on board and eat what you want. I'm also drinking, just so you know. It, it's honest makes a hell of a martini. Oh, come on! Now you're you're. I'm the I'm the one giving compliments, not you, Richard. Come on. <laughs> well, what was great about the tea shop is almost more than any other location in the show. It was what I would call a nexus location. It was it was a place that existed in the real world, where anyone in Portland could come and buy tea. But it also served a purpose for what we on the, you know, within the world of the show were called Vessen. And the Vessen were the characters in the show that also had this sort of inner hidden animal nature and they could transform into sort of these animal creatures. And so at any moment, a regular human being off the street could be in the tea shop and right next to them could be these supernatural creatures who were also buying tea that were essential to, you know, you know, their lifestyle as a vessel or something they desperately needed for certain reasons. Hexen Beast could be in there looking for uh, ingredients they would put into a spell. So it was a a location that existed in two worlds, the upper world of humanity and then the lower hidden world of the Vessen and the characters, uh, a lot of the characters on our show. So in a way, it was the most magical location you could possibly have. And that's what made it so fun because you want to believe these places exist. When you go to a tea shop or when you go, when you're in Chinatown or something and you go into a shop that looks like Whoa, like whoever goes here, you want to believe there's a mythology behind that. And we were able to write a location that had that mythology. And, and there's nothing better than that. That's, that's where the fun comes in. You know, we did not say this in the early review, so I'd like to say that now. One of the great things we did like about the exotic tea shop, Spice and Tea Shop, is when we went, uh, it was almost like, yes, they made custom teas for us. They opened up a grimoire and they... Uh, listed all of these ingredients. So that was, it, it was a very almost custom, you know, a bespoke tease. And that's something you just don't get in this day and age. You know, Manus is one of the few normal citizens who's ever been allowed into the exotic tea shop. <laughs> I don't know how he found it, but he did. I did, yes. And I somehow, mean, that's what we do. Know, that's what we do. His charm got him through, as it always does. All right, so... You mentioned, all right, so earlier you mentioned you did this, you did this episode 
uh, where there was a big fight uh, in the tea shop, which that episode was called One Angry Fuchsbau, I believe. Yeah, yeah oh, good one, pronunciation. Oh, yes. You got it. All right. Somehow you got that, but I had trouble with my last name earlier. This is very, very weird. No, okay, sorry. Well, you're, you're we need, to, we need to see languages. each other more often, Richard. That's all, man. We just need to, we need to go to, I need to go to more Christmas Eve parties, man. <laughs> Come on. All right. But anyway, for those not familiar with this episode or the show, at least in this episode, it's about uh, a toad-eating Ziegelfolk who is uh, jury tampering to win his case. Uh, He not only uses the tea shop as – so Richard not only uses the tea shop as the big reveal of how the main characters are going to thwart the evil lawyer, but also it is – yeah, he has the final showdown in the tea shop. Was that intentional? Oh, totally, because this was an episode, I mean, w- once Monroe had a girlfriend, uh, then we, and, and, and you know, Brie is such an amazing actress that we just wanted to, to do as much with it as we could, and those were beloved characters. I mean, really, all the characters were beloved. I mean, from, you know, Sasha's character, the captain, you know, and... Uh, and, you know, Sergeant Wu, I mean, people were devoted to these uh, characters. So um, what was nice about this was it was an episode that allowed for a scene at the end because basically um, Rosalie was being hypnotized. This lawyer, she was on the jury, was eating these toads that allowed him to have a sort of charismatic influence over the jury and convince them of anything. They'd believe anything. And, you know, of course, this is the lawyer you want. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah. If you're ever in trouble, get a Zegavoke and, <laughs> and have him eat those toads. I thought nothing wrong with what he was doing. Yeah, I know, because I just thought he's doing his job. Well, I mean, in a way, it's a character <laughs> out of yeah. American folklore. Yeah. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the con man. It's the, it's the, the faith healer, the, uh, the tent revivalist, and in this case, the, uh, the wily lawyer. Who can who can cast a spell in the courtroom and do whatever he needs to do? So this is what this guy was, but he can only do it with these special toads, and you can only get these toads from certain places. So anyway, what was nice about it was Rosalie was, even though she was a Vesson and, and a very smart character, she was falling under the influence of this guy, and Monroe did not like that at all, and. Um, ultimately, when the bad guys are revealed in this episode, you want to see Monroe go full bloodbod and 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 really defend his love, defend his woman, and he does. And it's a very satisfying moment for the character, and the, the audience you know, response was huge, and it was great to see the scene play out. Anytime you're doing a a scene in a television show that involves a lot of stunts, it takes a long time to film because these things are choreographed very carefully and the number one concern is safety. You do not want an actor injured or a stuntman injured in any way. And they, and you know, there's a million techniques to make sure that they don't, but you're going to bend over backwards to make sure. So we spent a good long time in that tea shop and, uh, and we filmed one of my favorite scenes. I, I just think it came out beautifully. Even the people who have never seen Grimm or do not know these characters at least see this one episode, uh, one Henry uh, Fuchsbau. It's it's very smooth, and I'm not just saying it to uh, because Richard's here. 
but the beats well, and the tea shop just integrates uh, perfectly and smoothly. And one of the great things about the episode that I really like is it's one of the funnier episodes. Um, there's always humor in each episode, but this one really leaned into the, the comedy and the comedy potential of the characters. So, it, uh, again, a, a very satisfying episode. And, and by the way, if you do watch this episode, watch Russell Hornsby's character. Watch Hank, because something very unexpected happened to him during the production. Shall I tell you what it was? Yeah. Okay, so we were filming in January. Shall I just continue? Please, yeah. Okay, so, uh, and I was there on uh, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So one of the weekends uh, was Super Bowl Sunday. And so various members of the cast gathered. And and I was there with... Um, with Monroe and Rosalie and uh, I mean, those are the character names, but uh, just so you know who I'm talking about. Uh, and Nick was there, David Gentoli. But anyway, we were, we were in, in a, a sports bar watching the Super Bowl, but uh, Russell wasn't with us. Russell was at his own party with his uh, wife and his friends. So that was Sunday. Well, Monday morning, we hear that Russell got hurt that during one of the plays in the Super Bowl, he jumped up off the couch and actually, uh, I think he, he actually tore his Achilles heel. And the Achilles heel always goes, you know, it's never, you know, some amazing thing where you're, you're, you're running a marathon. You just stand up out of a chair and your Achilles heel can go and it can happen to anybody. So on that Sunday, it happened to Russell. And he was in a lot of pain, but he, 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 he wanted to see the end of the Super Bowl. So he did. Then he went to the emergency room and they're like, yeah, you, you really messed yourself up. And they put him in one of those big boots. I mean, he couldn't walk. And we'd already filmed half the episode. So we had to redesign the coverage so that you never really saw him walking. Because if you saw him walking, you'd see him limping. So we would stage a scene at the bottom of a flight of stairs, like outside the courthouse. And then they'd say, well, all right, let's go in. And he would turn and start to take a step, and we'd cut. So half of the episode involves him sitting down, and I defy you to tell me which scenes were filmed before his injury and which ones were filmed after the injury, but it totally happened, and we had to really go, oh my God, what are we going to do? And then we had to build in, because this was an injury that was going to last for a couple of episodes. So then in the beginning of the following episode, we had to explain why his foot was in a boot and we came up with a fictional reason and why he was suddenly walking with a cane or a crotch or whatever. So yeah, one of the exciting things that happens when you're filming a television show. Excellent way to end part one and thank you very much to Richard. If you want to give a shout out to Richard on the Twitter universe, his Twitter handle is at Richard Haddam. Also, he is going to be a part of the new show called Titans, so be on the lookout for that. And as for me, if you want to read more reviews, you can either go to the website www.restaurantfiction.com or listen to the preceding episodes. As always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's the Labor Day sale at Ace, the perfect time to buy the latest grills from our exclusive lineup of premium brands. Right now, buy one of our select Traeger grills and get a free Traeger accessories package valued at over $85. Plus, 
Ace Rewards members get free assembly and delivery on our top grills and accessories, $3.99 and up. From our store, right to your door. Don't miss the Labor Day sale. Now through Monday, only at Ace. See participating stores for scheduling or exclusions. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Let's talk credit card debt for a minute. If you feel you're carrying too much of it, you're not alone. The average household in the U.S. carries over $8,000 in credit card debt. Ready for some good news? With a cash-out refinance from Quicken Loans, you can quickly and easily put some of the equity in your home to good use by paying off a lot of that high-interest credit card debt. A great way to take cash out is with our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN to learn how taking cash out with a 30-year fixed mortgage might be the right solution for you. And for a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 0.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.